It's good to see you today. It's a great blessing to be in the house of the Lord with like-minded people where we can draw strength and we can draw encouragement. And uh, I say that, and then I want to give you a disclaimer. As we talk this morning, uh, I want you to first know how much I love each and every one of you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I love this congregation and I love its people. And things that I say today are not meant to frustrate anyone. Uh, that is certainly not my goal. And if you find yourself frustrated uh, by some of the things that we look at today, uh, that's not my intention. Um, I say that because I really feel like some of the things that we're going to talk about today uh, they're going to touch us in some ways. They're going to affect us in some ways. And they might even ask us, uh, cause us rather, to ask ourselves some life-altering questions about who we are and what our purpose is. Okay, I want to say one more thing before we begin. This is not a political talk, okay? It's not a political talk. I will say some things about our government in regard to our submission. It's not a political talk. And I'm telling you that because, uh, and I'm going to tell you something else, I don't label myself as being any part of any particular party or brand. And that may cause some of you to think I lack conviction or judge me. And, and I'm just telling you like it is. The things that I say are not from some standpoint of right or left or in between. Okay, this is strictly about God's word, about our responsibility as his people. And so keep that in mind as we talk about some of the things in regard to submission. The point of this lesson is to give us a biblical picture of submission. And there will inevitably be questions that somebody thinks of that goes, okay, you talked about submission, but you didn't talk about this. Or you didn't talk about this. Or there's always the, yeah, but what if? And I'm going to tell you, we don't have time to explore all those things. Uh, this is not going to be a complete exploration of every single thing in regard to submission, but rather to give us a foundation, a biblical foundation about submission and our responsibility so that we can ourselves navigate all those various circumstances, okay? Okay, so there's the disclaimer. Let's talk about the word submission. I, I appreciate the reading of the morning. I hope that everybody got a chance to read 1 Peter chapter 2. And what you see in 1 Peter chapter 2, as well as other places in the New Testament, is this idea of submit yourselves. And anytime you see that, uh, you're seeing this Greek word that is actually translated uh, 40 different times. Now, it's not translated submit yourselves 40 times, but that Greek word that's translated submit yourselves is used 40 times in the New Testament. And it always means the same thing. It always has this idea of submission and as you see on the screen, the way it's defined is subordinate, okay? And we're going to talk about subordinates today because subordinates may be a little different than the way that we look at the idea of submission. Subordinates means to place below in rank, okay? So we understand this. We understand a hierarchy. You can think about a military hierarchy that, that there are privates and there are, there are a special class of privates that are over those privates and there are sergeants and there are cap there's so on, okay? You understand Okay, well, under that is subordination, okay? And we have people that are actually, uh, they get in trouble, they get disciplined. For what? For insubordination. And what they're saying is, you fail to recognize your place. You fail to recognize your rank. You have tried to raise yourself above where you're supposed to be. That's the idea of subordinate, okay? But here's what I want us to think about this morning. When we, we're given this command 
subordinate yourselves, submit yourselves, it's a reflexive command, okay? He uses that idea here of reflexively to obey, and we'll talk about what reflexively means. So reflexively, it means that when you have a sentence and you have the way the sentence is structured, in, when it's reflexive, it means that the subject of a sentence is also the object of the verb. And you say, well, now I'm really confused. Well, you won't be in just a moment, okay? So stick with me for a moment. So what I want to do is explore some scriptures that give us this idea of hierarchy, this idea of authority, and this idea of subordinate. So we're going to go through these pretty quickly because they're very familiar, but I want to establish this at the beginning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That's an area of subordination where he tells the children that the parents are over them in authority and they're supposed to obey those parents. That's one chain, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves, same Greek word, unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And whether we like that or it's culturally sound or whether it's PC, that's what the Bible teaches, that there's an area of an authority there. In Hebrews chapter 13 and 17 regarding elders of the church, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves again, the same command. For they watch for your souls that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. 1 Peter chapter 2.18 from our reading, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And while some have said the New Testament is promoting slavery here, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but this is really bigger than that. This is an employer-employee relationship, and there's an area of an authority that is established there that we'll talk about in a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2.13, also from our reading, he says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, and then he goes on to say, or to governors, or those that are sent by him to punish evildoers. So again, there's an area of authority there. James chapter 4.7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, so that's not all the authorities in our life, but I think it's a structure that we can work with, and we can identify, and we can recognize, and we can understand. So here's the idea. I'm out of breath. The idea is to subordinate yourselves. And I just told you, reflexive means the subject is also the object of the verb. What in the world did I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. It's not the job of the authority to subordinate those under them. Are you with me? God never commands the authority to subordinate those under them. He doesn't tell the elders to subordinate those under them. He doesn't tell the husband to subordinate the wife. He doesn't tell the government to subordinate those that are under it. He tells those that are subordinate to subordinate themselves. That's what it means that the subject is also the object of the verb. This is a command to us to recognize the authorities in our life and we have the responsibility of placing ourselves under them. Subordinate, he says, yourselves. So, what about when there's no authority? See, there's actually times in our life when we are told to subordinate ourselves in the absence of authority. Is that confusing? I don't think it really is. I don't think you'll be confused by it. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 for a moment. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Now, this word elders here doesn't mean elders of the church. It means older people. 
Okay, you ever been told you need to respect your elders, kids? Why? Is it because every older person has authority over you, like your parents or your grandparents or someone? No. But it is a command from God. Is it the older people's place to put the younger people in place and say, you need to respect your elders? Well, it might be for the parents or grandparents. But no, he's commanding this to the younger people. Now look at the next part. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Now here's where it can get real muddy if we don't understand that it's not just about authority, okay? Submit yourselves to one another. Well, there's no authority there, right? Okay, so let's say that Lonnie and I are having an interaction and we're trying to figure out who needs to uh, be subordinate to the other. And we would go, well, what's your title? Well, what's your title? Well, what's your authority? What's your responsibility? That doesn't matter. Because Lonnie and I are both children of God, and guess what our responsibility is? To both be subordinate to each other. And you say, well, that's really confusing. That's because subordinates is not just about the action that takes place or a recognition of authority, but subordinates is a mindset. It's a mindset that Jesus taught us. It has to do with humility. And notice what he says here. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now listen to verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves. Another reflexive command. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Listen, that he may exalt you in due time. Subordinates is not just about obedience. Subordinates is about humility. And oftentimes what happens is our pride gets in the way and our pride causes us to think that we're greater than everybody else and we won't subordinate ourselves to them because we think they're better than them. That's what he's talking about. Submit yourselves one to another. Be humble. Be clothed with humility. Quit trying to exalt yourself. What you need to do is abase yourself, lower yourself, place yourself in a lower spot, and then God will exalt you. So let's think about the nature of submission. What if I said, well, I will submit to God but I'm going to do it my way. Can you think of anybody who's done that? Okay, I'll give you the example of King Saul for a moment. King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel through the direction of God, I want you to go and I want you to destroy the entire nation of the Ammonites and I want you to destroy all of their people. That was men, women, and children. And I want you to destroy all of their possessions and I want you to destroy all of their livestock. And so, during the middle of the night, after all the action had taken place, God tells Samuel, I regret making Saul king over Israel because he has not obeyed my command. And then Samuel, he stays up all night and cries out to God over what Saul's done. And he goes to Saul, and when Saul sees Samuel, he says, Blessed are you that comes in the name of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So here's the thing. God said, Saul didn't do what I told him to. Samuel recognized Saul didn't do what he told him to. But Saul thought within himself, I've done exactly what God's told me to. I destroyed the Ammonites. Samuel's response to this, I performed the commandment of the Lord, was then why do I hear sheep bleeding? Well, 
the people thought that we needed the sheep to do this and to make these sacrifices and all this. In other words, I did the will of God. I just did it my way. God's will, my way. What if a, parent, what if a, what if a child said, well, I'm going to be subordinate. I'm going to submit to my mother, but only when I agree with her. Is that submission? What about a wife for a husband, that matter? Wives, do you always agree with your husband? Mine doesn't. Does that still negate our responsibility to submit because we don't agree? What about the government? Oh, this one gets a little hairy, doesn't it? Well, I'll submit to the government as long as I agree with them. Or I'll submit to the government as long as it's a Republican that says it. Or as long as it's a Democrat that says it. Or as long as it's this senator or that senator or that president or this president. And it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's not submission. There's no special virtue in submitting to the things you already want to do. That's not submission. Submission is done in humility, and it's when we place ourselves under those authorities. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now listen, for there is no authority except from God. And the, uh, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, who resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Do you like that? Me neither. But it doesn't matter. Because we're not supposed to like it. You know, one thing about submission and the reason why we have so many commands to submit ourselves is because God knew we wouldn't like it. If I went and told my kids, you must eat ice cream, guess what? They're like, sweet. <laughs> we like ice cream. But when I told my kids, you must eat your vegetables, there was resistance. Because they didn't want to do that. Except for Kennedy, she's the strange one in our family that loves eating everything that's green. But you understand the point. There's a reason why God, through his word, commanded us to submit because he knew we didn't like it. We don't like submission. We like to control our destiny. We like to control what we do and what we think and what we say. We like to do what we want. And guess what? We do what we want. But it doesn't mean it's right for us to always do what we want. And there's an antonym here of submission that I want you to see. That is, the opposite of submission is mentioned in this verse, and it's resistance. Therefore, who resists the authority resists the ordinance, and those who resist. He uses that word three times, and it actually comes from the same root word that our word submission comes from. It just has the word anti in front of it. Not submit. That's what the idea of resistance is. So, y'all have probably seen this symbol or heard about what happened in France during the French Revolution, and they came up with this saying, Viva la resistance. And here's the thing, I think a lot of God's people at times would love to join this. And we want to rise up in pride and we want to resist authority and we want to shake our fist at them and we want to hold up signs and we want to get aggressive. Because there's some type of courage that we see in resisting, some type of strength that we see in resisting. 
But I wonder how many of us would want to join Viva la Submission. Long live the submission. Doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? Not exactly something that we get excited about. And yet that's who God's called us to be. He's called us to be people who aren't looking for a fight. People that are looking to yield. Because it's not our reflex. You know, our reflex is, and if you sneak up behind me, and I don't know you're behind me, and you poke me in the sides, I'm going to like this every time. Uh, my kids have tried it. They know it happens. Gotcha. It's my reflex to do that. And here's the difference between reflex and something that, that you think through. If they come poke me in the side, I'm not throwing my hands up because I go, okay, first off, let's assess the threat. Secondly, let's turn around and identify the threat. I'm, that process doesn't happen. It's just a reflex. Well, here's the thing. Most of the time our reflex is if somebody opposes me or they threaten me or they rise up against me, my reflex is to get louder and more aggressive. That's our reflex. And God's trying to tell us, retrain your reflex Retrain your reflexes. Notice what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist. Same word. Not to resist an evil person. Not to oppose. Not to set yourself in array for the battle. But he said, whoever slaps you on the right cheek or on one cheek, turn the other also. Have you ever stopped and read this verse and thought, I wonder if I could do that. Because I, I, don't, I don't recall someone in my adult life walking up and slapping me on the face. It happened when I was a kid, and I, we don't need to talk about what happened after that. But, but I'll tell you, as an adult, understanding Jesus' command, I've thought to myself, could I really endure that situation? What would I do? So let's create a testing ground, okay? Let's create a testing ground for a moment. To see what we would do. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. The King James says, study to be quiet. To mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside. And that you may lack nothing. So here's the testing ground. Could I endure someone slapping me on the cheek? Well... Uh, and some of you don't have social media and some of you are against social media. This is not a promotion of social media. I just want to use it as a testing ground. Someone says something on social media that you disagree with vehemently. What do you do? What do you do? I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen resistance. I've seen aggression. I've seen people try to put someone in their place. We try to subordinate them. Could we take the slap on the cheek when we can't even take the verbal slap on the cheek? What should we do in those cases? Pick your battles. Number one, pick your battles. Secondly, understand that there's a way, there's a way to have a rebuttal. There's a way to stand your ground, and there's, there's, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But here's what I want us to understand 
as God's people. When you get on Facebook or whatever, Twitter or whatever, and you get aggressive with somebody and you start a debate and a fight, people are watching. And whatever you say and the attitude that you display reflects on the rest of the people in this room. And it reflects on our eldership and it reflects on our congregation. And you say, well, you don't have to worry. They don't even know I'm a Christian. That's the problem. That's the problem. What does he say? He says the life we're supposed to live is supposed to be a life of quietness. God doesn't want us out in the streets holding up protest signs for some worldly social justice. God wants us to lead a quiet life. He wants us to mind our own business. He wants us to work. Why? That those who see, that those who see will see that you're walking properly. Back to, back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus continues his thoughts by saying, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You know, this is another thing that's hard for us in the realm of submission. Letting someone inconvenience us. That's really what this is. It's an inconvenience. Would you give somebody the shirt off your back, literally, if they needed it? Or if they didn't need it? What if somebody wanted to borrow your tools? I'm not excited about that one. What's Jesus' point here? Is Jesus trying to teach us about submission because he just wants us to be a punching bag and let anybody take advantage of us at any time, to let anybody hurt us? And, and if somebody requests, I, I want to hit you in the face. Well, okay. Is that the point? No, he's trying to change our reflex. Our reflex is to give importance to our stuff and to our pride and to our dignity. Our importance is to do the bare, our, our, our reflex rather, is to do the bare minimum. And he's saying, I want you to go the extra mile. You know what Jesus did? He went the extra mile. Jesus was slapped in the face. And how did he respond? If you read the reading from 1 Peter chapter 2 last night, you will notice that at one point during that reading, Peter said that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And what was that example? Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Who when he was threatened, or when he suffered, he threatened not. What's Peter's point? His point is be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Because that's not the battle. That's not the fight. That's not our purpose. Romans 12, 17 says recompense to... To no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know why Paul said, as much as lieth in you? Because the truth is, you may subordinate yourself to every person in this world and still not avoid being in fights. <laughs> Some things are out of your power. 
But listen closely. God's people are humble and submissive. God's people are peacemakers. God's people don't blast these verbal assaults on people, but they weigh their words before they spread them in kindness and love. God's people are not like the world. And God's people don't rise up and seek vengeance. And he says, as much as lieth within you, as much as possible, you make an effort not to fight against people, but to fight against your own pride in humble submission to your Maker and your Creator, to His glory. So, is there a time to resist? Absolutely. There is a time to resist. Acts 5.29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Understand what's happening here. They've already been punished for preaching Christ. And a second time, these men come and warn them, Do not preach Christ again. And Peter says, We're going to obey God. You do what you want to us. We're going to obey God. When an authority tries to press you to do something that God has said not to do, friends, you have no responsibility to subordinate to that authority. When some person wants you to do something that's unethical or immoral, you have no responsibility to submit to that authority. But I'll tell you something, what we see in Scripture is that these people that refused to subordinate when it was against God they also handled themselves in a very different way than maybe we would think. And I want to think about Daniel for just a moment from Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, uh, Daniel was a man who was put in the midst of a political situation. He was put in the midst of a, of a government and a hierarchy that was ungodly. And Daniel and his men were chosen out of the people of Israel to be under the king and, and close to the king. And so one of these men that had a responsibility to the king had a responsibility of getting these men in the right place. And so they were going to train them for three years before they started working with this king. And during that time, they said, we're going to let you eat all of the king's delicacies. Now, the king's delicacies would have been meats that they wouldn't have typically eaten because it was against the law of God. Pork, shrimp, things like that. So Daniel says, look, uh, I'm not going to do that. It says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What I want you to see first off is Daniel had already made up his mind. He'd already made up his mind. I'm not going to do this. He purposed in his heart. That's what that means. He made up his mind. But he didn't tell the eunuch that. He didn't tell the eunuch that. I've made up my mind. He didn't get aggressive with him. He didn't say, I'm not, I'm not about to do that. <laughs> he went to him in humility. And he requested that he might not do that. That's where he started. Daniel came up with this idea and he says, uh, 
to actually the steward of this chief of the eunuchs, he says to him, please test your servants for 10 days. He got creative. Daniel said, okay, look, I get it. You're a man accountable. You're, you're going to be held accountable for whether or not we're in good health or not. So let's do this. There's no harm in this. We've got three years before we're presented before the king. Ten days. Give us ten days. Let us just eat vegetables and drink water. Then let our appearance be examined before you. And the appearances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he said, look, just give us... 10 days. I'll tell you, Daniel handled himself extremely wise throughout this situation. Because he could have insulted those authorities and, and then his life may have been forfeit. But see, he was still able to resist but do so in humility and use logic and reason. And you know what he didn't have to do? He didn't have to defile himself. He didn't have to go along with it. And my point is this, just because somebody says, well, we want you to do this, doesn't mean we have to come out with guns blazing. You know, another situation that we see in Scripture is one of Paul and the centurion. This is not really a situation where there's anything being requested of Paul to do something immoral or unethical, but rather there's harm that is going to come to Paul as a result of what's happening. Paul upset some people, and when he upset those people, there was a centurion there who made a decision because Paul had upset these people. He was going to bind his hands, and they were going to beat Paul. They were going to scourge him. So here's what happened with Paul. Paul looks at this guy, and he says, Hey, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen when he hasn't even been tried? And this guy goes, Whoa, you're a Roman? Paul said, Yes. And immediately they go take his, his uh, fetters off. They're like, oh, sorry. What did he do? He appealed to his rights. Is that wrong? No. This is Paul. This is the guy who said, our citizenship is in heaven. But you know what he said? I'm a citizen of Rome. Why did he do that? Because he used wisdom to try to get himself out of a bad situation that was going to happen because of a fascist and oppressive government. But you know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't bide his time waiting for the right moment to grab the sword out of the centurion's sheath and slay all the men. He used wisdom. And he did so in humility. What do you think would have happened if they would have ignored his request? And I'll tell you what would have happened. Just read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul says five times... Received I 40 stripes. Didn't mean he wanted to do it again. So he used his legal rights to try to get out of the situation. But I'll tell you what Paul was ready to do. Something that I think sometimes I'm not ready to do. And that's suffer for Jesus. Second Timothy 3, chapter 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This passage has been mutilated for all different reasons. Uh, you know, to, to try to drive certain agendas, 
You know, some people say, well, this means Christians can't vote, or, or this means an evangelist can't work outside of his evangelistic work. That's not what this is about. This is about the heart. This is about the mind. And he's trying to impress upon Timothy that, look, you have somebody who has enlisted you as a soldier, and his name is Jesus Christ, and you need to fight for him, and you need a war for him, and that needs to be your mindset. Understand who you're fighting for. So I want to ask you a question. Are we living up to God's expectation? What do you eat every day? You say, well, that's kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> no, really, what, what do you eat every day? What's your diet consist of? You say, I don't know where you're going with this. Hold on to that for a minute. We're going to come back to it in a moment. I want to read a passage first. Colossians 3, 2, sets your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. What does that mean, set your mind? The way that our eyes are designed to work is we have varying ranges of sight and focus. We've got what's called a focal point, And whatever I look at intently, that's where the greatest amount of focus is. And then there's this area around that, there's a radius around that focal point where things are somewhat clear but not as clear as the focus point. And then there are things outside like you see on the screen outside of the lenses that are called the peripheral, okay? Here's the thing. You need to see things that are in the peripheral. And here's the thing about the peripheral. Like I can put my hands out here and I can move my fingers but if you ask me if there were spots on my hands or something like that, I'd have to stop and change the peripheral to the focus. Okay, you with me? So you have to know what's going on. You can see things that are in the peripheral, but here's the thing. When the world is the focal point, God is in the peripheral. When God is the focal point, the world is in the peripheral. We don't want God in the peripheral. Why? I'll tell you why, because what's in the focal point is going to shape the way you think. It's going to shape the way that you act. It's going to shape your attitude. It's going to cause you to either have joy or, or, or be miserable. That's what the, the impact of the focal point is. The things in the peripheral do not shape you. So if you wake up every morning and you find yourself angry about what's happening in the world and you spend all day being mad about it and thinking about it, put God back in the focus because He's in the peripheral. These men lived under trying times. These men lived under oppression to the point where they were being beaten and they were being killed and somehow they found joy because the world was in the peripheral and God was in the focus. They knew what was happening in the peripheral but it did not shape them. And it did not tell them the way they ought to act and think. So I ask you again, what are you eating? 1 Peter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, don't confuse what Peter's saying here. This is not about milk and meat like what we have in Hebrews 5. He's just making a point uh, of the word being nourishment. And he said, just like a baby would desire to drink milk, you desire to drink the word. That's the point. 
But I want to look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, what are you eating every day? That wasn't really about your diet, your physical diet, but rather about the steady diet of what's coming through your eyes and ears into your heart. And here's what he says. You need to have a diet. You need to have a desire. You need to have a desire for the milk of the Word. And you need to be taking and consuming that Word every day. And so I want to ask you, is the Word in your focal point or is it in the peripheral? What are we eating? Two weeks ago, Brother Franklin told you about this little calf that him and Monty Paul had stumbled upon that they weren't sure whether he was going to make it. And we all ended up out at the house, and, and that calf's alive now. Its name is Lasher, if you're wondering, because it has big eyelashes. But, but little Lasher was a beautiful calf, but when they had him laid out there and we'd made this little makeshift uh, corral in, pen inside of the garage there, and uh, I'll tell you, there was a lot of things going on at that time, but I'll tell you, I was only really focused on one thing, and that was watching my brother, who is six foot two-ish, who's a very big man, laying down in this hay on his back, holding the mouth of this calf, trying to get it to taste the colostrum. Just taste it. And he's fighting it. And he said, I can't make you want it. I can't will it for you. He just wanted him to taste it. You know why he wanted him to taste it? Because if he tasted it, he'd want it. So maybe we don't want the Word. Maybe we've got no desire for God's Word. Well, let me ask you something. Have you tasted it? You know how long it took that calf to finally get the desire? I don't think he got it that night, did he? He fought it crammed that bottle in his mouth and he's getting some of it but he's fighting it and the next day he wanted that milk and i'll tell you sometimes you got to keep the bottle in your mouth for a while and you got to keep and be disciplined and keep reading the word and tasting the word and eventually you desire the word and i'll tell you why because it's so much better than the other junk we're eating once it gets in there and you feel the growth, and you experience the change, God will be in the focal point. And the world will be in the peripheral. We're not going to read this. That's why I asked you to read it last night. I just want to refer back to some things from our reading this morning. You know what all this boils down to? Submit or not submit, pride or humility. You know what it boils down to? It's you understanding who you are. You know what Peter said there about the government was he said, I want you to submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. He didn't say, I want you to submit to the government because the government deserves your honor and they're great and they're... No, that's not what he said. You do it for the Lord's sake. Why? Because he started out with this foundation. You're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are God's own special people. And he said, I beg you as sojourners, as pilgrims, as people that do not belong in this world. He said, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul so that your conduct will be seen by others and it will be honorable. And you may by good deeds put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Are we not living in a time of ignorance and foolishness? Do you want to silence it? Do what's right. Don't be right. And what I mean by that is don't try to prove somebody wrong and prove yourself right, but be right. Do what's right. 
And Peter said, that's the way to silence the ignorance. That's the way to silence the foolishness. You do what's right and you be God's people. So are we God's people? Or are we the world's people? That's the question we've got to ask. I've got one last verse for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. I don't want us to misunderstand what he said here. Paul said, I know my purpose. I know who I am. And this is my desire. It's very simple. My desire is not for you to agree with all of my opinions. My desire is not for you to agree with all of my political ideas. My desire is not for you to feel less than me and for me to feel greater than you. My desire is for your soul. And he said, because that's my desire, I will spend gladly and be spent. You know what he meant by that? I'll not only pay, I'll empty the bank account. If that means your soul can be won. So my question is this. Do we want to get paid? Are we willing to pay? What Satan wants to do is he wants to tear this family apart. That's what he wants to do. He wants to separate our families and separate the members in here. Because of politics and because of opinions. He wants to separate us because of bitterness and unforgiveness. He wants to separate us and tear us apart because he knows if we're not united, we're weak. What we've got to do is submit ourselves one to another. We've got to be kind to one another. We've got to put one another's needs above our own. We've got to submit under the mighty hand of God and be His people. Because united, we can win the battle. And the battle is not to overthrow the government. The battle is not to change policy. The battle of the holy nation of God that is guided by and overseen by greater principles than the United States. Our goal, our purpose is to win souls. Don't ever forget that. Today, friends, Jesus is waiting for you. He wants you to be a part of that kingdom. A kingdom full of peace, a kingdom full of joy, a kingdom of strength, and a kingdom of nourishment that will help you grow and ultimately give you eternal life. Today, if you're a part of that kingdom and you're having issues, you're having troubles, at this time we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. Come have a seat on the front as we stand and we sing.